Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, well, hey, we're going to get into the Word, and today we have the special honor of uh, hearing from a friend of mine who is going to bring the Word to us today. Uh, Robin and I were on vacation. That's why we're about eight shades darker right now and uh, even more ethnically ambiguous than before. Um, but uh, today uh, we have the honor from, uh, of hearing from a, a great friend of mine who we've done ministry together for about 15 years now. Uh, pastor Rich and Hillary Harris are the uh, leadership college pastors at the Father's House in Vacaville, and uh, he's also one of the worship pastors there. Uh, he does a lot of other stuff but incredible, incredible man of God, incredible communicator. And today, this message is right up his alley. Uh, I really think it's gonna help you. There's a lot of people that were blessed by it in the first service. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet and would you welcome Pastor Rich Harris as he comes to bring the word today? Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. It is my goal in life to one day be as tan as Pastor Tim, but uh, I just don't know about that. <laughs> I just don't know. What's that? <laughs> uh, I love this church. I love you guys. I know many of you may not know me. I do know several of you, but uh, I just, I love what God's doing in this church. Man, both services this morning, the presence of God is just here during worship. I just, um, I, I just love those moments. The presence of God never gets old for me. It's, it's just amazing that every time his people come together and lift up his name, he's so faithful to come close and to speak to hearts. And uh, it's, it, not every church gets to experience what you guys are experiencing when the presence of God comes close. So um, don't take that for granted. I know you don't. I know you guys are a church who honors the Lord, and I love that about you. Uh, it's kind of fun. I am a worship pastor, so... Um, you know, anytime I'm in a worship service, just the way my brain works is I'm always analyzing everything. Like, what's going on here? What's, what chords are they playing? Ooh, did they miss that? Oh, what's going on? But I was telling uh, Galermi backstage between services, I was like, man, it's so good as a worship pastor to be able to just come in and go, oh, there you are, Jesus. <laughs> so thank you guys for being a worshiping church. It's awesome. I do want to, I want to give honor to your pastors for a moment and they're going to hate this. No, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm, I, you know, I got to do it. You know, I got to do it. Um, I'm going to say the same things I said last service, but just, you know, just because I've said it before, doesn't mean it's not true and doesn't mean I don't believe it. Uh, you guys have some amazing lead pastors. I don't know. Do you under, do you know how amazing your lead pastors are? Okay. That's good. You do. You seem to know. Pastor Tim and Robin, they, we have been living life with them for, as Pastor Tim said, many years now, and I've gotten to see firsthand that they are some of the most anointed, gifted, genuine, kind, fun, hilarious, generous people that I've ever met. And really, as lead pastors, they could be leading any church of any number of people all throughout the world, but God put this city and this church in their hearts, and they did the most difficult thing in the world, which was giving up their lives to come and set down roots here so that they could pursue the call of God for this city and they could love and serve this city. It's a big, major thing that they've done. You guys are so honored to have them as pastors. One more time, can we give it up for your pastors? Love you guys. Uh, how many of you guys in here enjoy exercise? You enjoy exercise. Good enough. Okay, you know what? I'm really impressed with this church. There's a lot of people who enjoy exercising. There's a lot of people last service too. Good for you. How about anybody in the room who 
you exercise, but you don't enjoy it. You just do it because you, you know you should and it's good for you. Okay, yeah, it's all right. Be honest. You can be honest. Anybody in here who's like, I don't enjoy exercise, so I don't do it because I want to enjoy my life. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good. Good. It's good to be honest in the house of God. Um, I have been all three of those people at different states, uh, stations, seasons. What am I even saying? At different times in my life. Uh, But in these last five years or so, I have really started to actually enjoy exercising. Now, I I know it's obvious, the elephant in the room, I'm not as buff as Pastor Tim. I get that. Not as tan as him. I don't have cool tattoos like him. And I'm not buff like him. But... I still enjoy working out. I I will say, though, and this probably is also obvious to everyone, that neither Pastor Tim nor myself are as buff as Pastor Robin. I think we all know this. I think we all know this. If you know Pastor Robin, you know that she will love you and support you, but if she must, she will break you. So I, I enjoy exercising, and about two or three months ago in Vacaville, where I live, uh, they started opening up gyms again, of course, with social distancing and, and mask-wearing protocols. So my buddy Dan and I, we, we started going back to the gym a few months ago, and we had an interesting experience one of our first days back to the gym. We were at one of these cable machine stations, and we were doing some tricep pull-downs, some tricep pull-downs, get that tricep pump. Get a tricep pump. So we were finishing up our tricep pulldowns. We were about to go over to another station about 10 feet away from us. But we noticed that there was a guy there kind of, kind of floating. If you've ever been in a gym before, you've probably seen the people who kind of linger at the station, kind of float around there. They're not using it, but they're the closest person to it. So you're like, are you there or are you not? So I walked up to him and I said, hey, are you still using this? Because if so, we can come back. And he just didn't even give me the time of day, didn't say anything, didn't acknowledge me, which I thought was an interesting way of responding to my question. So he goes and he starts lifting. He starts using the station, starts lifting, and then he turns and makes dead eye contact with me, (laughs) holds the eye contact, and then goes back to lifting. Still doesn't say a word to me. I did not like that very much. <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm a nice guy, a, a pretty good person. I'm not just trying to start fights or anything wherever I go, but I do believe in common courtesy, right? Like, don't cut me off on the road and I won't cut you off. And like, if I ask you a question, then maybe just say something back to me, just anything, just answer me. So, you know, mid-workout, my blood's pumping a little bit and my, my, my thinking is not totally clear and I may have been a little irrational. I thought, well, he's being passive aggressive, so I'm gonna do that too, which usually is a bad idea. I'm just letting you know right now. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be passive aggressive too. And out loud I say, or just don't acknowledge me at all. That's cool. And I turn around and I go back to my station. I know I should have been more gracious. I'm a pastor. I'm a representative of Christ, but I'm not perfect. Okay. I'm still learning. So not as gracious as I should have been, but I I come back and I keep doing my tricep pull downs, getting that tricep pump on. (laughs) And as I'm finishing up my set, he now walks up to me. And I have a couple things that go through my mind at this point. First thing is, I hope you're here to apologize for your rude behavior that I called you out on. And the second thing I'm thinking is, I wish I was a little more passive and a little less aggressive (laughs) because I don't know this guy at all and I'm a pastor in this town and I can't just be going around starting fights. So I wasn't really sure what to expect when he came up to me, but I definitely didn't expect what he ended up saying. He came up to me and he said, I'm deaf. Yeah. Oh, Pastor Rich. Yeah. And that's, I know, I know. Hey, he said, I'm deaf. 
I can read lips, but I need to be looking directly at someone so I can read their lips because I'm completely deaf in both ears. To which I wanted to say, and I'm a moron, and I want to lay down and die from shame and embarrassment right now. Hi, my name's Rich. But I didn't say any of those things because I was so embarrassed and so tongue-tied that what I actually said, true story, I said, oh, are you still on that station? <laughs> like, what is happening? My friend Dan is next to me like, oh my gosh, I cannot, you know, don't do this. My wife actually wanted to beat me up later when I told her this story. She hit me. She's like, I can't believe you. I'm like, I know, I can't believe myself. I'm terrible. So I went back and I apologized to him. Of course I apologized to him. I honestly don't know if he knew what I said because he wasn't looking at me when I said it. So, but I was just like, just, just to be safe. I'm just gonna apologize. And he was very, very gracious with me, thankfully. Way more gracious than I deserved. Uh, we actually kind of became friends a little bit that day uh, because I told him, uh, I, you know, I've got a daughter with disabilities and I know it's different than being deaf, but uh, she's blind. And oftentimes many people talk to her as though she's deaf. And I have to remind them that her hearing works just fine. And he thought that was funny. So we became friends. So I, I just thought that was, that was a good way to end that conversation after insulting him. So I learned that day that when you want to accomplish something, there's a right timing and a right method. And there's also a wrong timing and a wrong method. What I wanted to accomplish that day was expressing my frustration at a perceived lack of common courtesy. Now the right time to do that would have been somewhere private, not in the middle of a public gym. And the right method of doing that would have been journaling or painting a Bob Ross picture or praying a little bit, not insulting a man who's deaf, that you don't want to do that. So there's a right time and a right method. How many of you have ever been frustrated with someone else's timing and methods? Yeah. How many of you have ever been frustrated with God's timing and methods? <laughs> I have for sure. My hand is up. Yeah. Maybe his timing in fulfilling his promises to you, maybe his methods in how he fulfills those promises to you. How many of you have, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, how many of you have ever caused or let that frustration push you into a place where you try to take control instead of letting God take control? Yeah, I saw one hand. Thank you for being honest. I said you didn't have to lift your hand. This is an honest church. Look at two hands up there. Look at you guys go. <laughs> Worshiping church and a very, very honest church. Yeah, so I wanna continue in this series that you guys have been in called Not My Job. I want to talk about another job that we as Christ followers, as Christians, tend to take on that God never asked us to take on. When we try to control the timing of the hand of God in our lives, it's not our job. It's not our job to play God. And the way that I want to get into this is by talking about a man in the Bible named Abram, later more famously known as Abraham. I want to tell his story a little bit, but I want to give you a little bit of context about him first. Abram is married to a woman named Sarah. And Abram and Sarah, they wanna have kids, but they can't seem to conceive. So that's gonna be important for you to know as we jump into the scripture here today in Genesis chapter 12, one. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, who was his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment because this is a 
pretty massive set of promises that God makes to Abram. Remember, for context, when God shows up on the scene and he makes these promises, Abram is 75 years old. Any 75-year-olds in the room? I don't know. I don't know. I just thought I'd ask that. <laughs> wasn't on the notes. I just thought this is a good place to ask a question. He's 75 years old. He doesn't have a kid. And he's homeless and living in a nation that is not his own homeland. So he's got a lot of stuff working against him as far as these promises are concerned. But into this set of circumstances, God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And to his credit, Abram actually believes God, takes him at his word, and he steps out in faith and obedience. And we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 12. And it says, from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, what is an altar? Many of you probably already know this, but in case you don't, that's all right. An altar is a piece of equipment that's usually used for religious sacrifices. There's lots of altars mentioned throughout the Bible. And generally speaking, not every time, but generally speaking, if someone in the Bible is building an altar, it's for one of two reasons. The first of which is they're building it as an act of thanks because they are memorializing, God met me here. And the second reason they would build an altar is out of an act of faith because they are anticipating God is going to meet me here. And this is the kind of altar that Abram builds in verse 8 here. And I want to talk about this altar for a moment because this verse actually paints a highly prophetic picture of the story of Abram and what he becomes known for throughout Scripture. It says that he built this altar between two locations, Bethel on his west and Ai on his east. Now, the word Bethel means house of God. And this is a place of prophetic significance in scripture. This is a place where Abram's future grandson, Jacob, will have some pretty powerful encounters with God. He has this open vision of heaven and these angels ascending and descending. And then there's a moment where God shows up a second time and he actually changes his name and his identity. So Bethel is this great place of supernatural activity and God activity where he shows up and he promises to be faithful. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you favor. Bethel is a place where prophetically we want to be. Bethel represents your answered prayer. It represents your blessing. It represents your breakthrough and the healing and the freedom that you've been looking for. Bethel is a great place to set up camp and to build an altar. But Abram did not build his altar at Bethel. It says that Bethel was to his west and to his east was Ai. Now Ai was also a place of prophetic significance in the Bible, but for a very different reason. See, some four to 500 years later, Abram's descendants, known as the people of Israel, they would come through conquering all of this land, which the Bible eventually calls the promised land, as a fulfillment of God's promise to Abram. They come through conquering this land and they come to Ai, and because of hidden sin in their camp, they suffer a major defeat at Ai. Many of them are killed and they're turned back around and they have to retreat. So they're, they're defeated, they feel disillusioned, they, they deal with this hidden sin in camp, and they go, okay, we're going to give this a second try, and they come to Ai a second time, and the second time, they win, but at this point, Ai has left such a bad taste in their mouth that they completely destroy the place. They burn it to the ground and leave nothing left. Ai is a bad memory. Ai means heap of ruins. Ai, for Abram, represents where he was living before God made this promise to him. Childless hopeless, 
surrounded by a bunch of relatives that were slowly dying off around him with no hope of a future generation. For you and I, AI represents that moment in your life, that event in your life, that season of your life that you can't think about without feeling a sharp stab in your soul. Where you were at your lowest, rejected, alone, addicted, ashamed, scared, depressed, suicidal, confused, lost, AI and Bethel. Defeat and victory, death and life, confusion and clarity. The place I never wanna see again and the place that I so long to see but I haven't seen it yet. And right there in the middle of these two locations, Abram builds an altar. Now I wanna tell you why this act in this location is so significant. God made a lot of promises to Abram. But the one thing that he wants the most is a son because his son will be kind of the first step of all of these promises coming to pass. But from the time that Abram builds this altar, he will not lay eyes on his promised son Isaac for another 25 years. So God would in fact make good on his promise to make Abram famous because for generation after generation after generation, Abram's story has been told as a shining example throughout scripture of one major defining trait. Abram trusted God to do God's job even though he wasn't comfortable with God's timing. That's tough. That's a tough thing to do. This altar that Abram builds, it's uh, what I like to call the altar of delayed blessing. And maybe you're familiar with this altar. Maybe you've experienced this. Let me know if you relate to any of these phrases. I should have been there by now. I should have made it by now. I should have achieved that by now. I should have built that business by now. I should have been wealthier by now. I should have been married by now. Should have seen that healing by now. Should have seen that loved one come to Jesus by now. Should have seen that breakthrough by now. I should be living the dream by now. I should have seen it by now. God, where are you? Does that resound with anyone but me? This is, this is so often where we find ourselves, and yes, sometimes we experience delay because of a lack of obedience or a lack of faith, but let me tell you something. There is a long list of people of faith throughout the Bible who experienced delay even though they were walking in the will and the call of God on their lives. Just to name a few, Daniel waited three weeks praying for God before the angel showed up and talked to him. Joseph waited 10 years before his buddy remembered to get him pardoned from prison, <laughs> That would just be awful. Like, I'm never talking to you again. You waited 10 years to get me out of prison? Thanks for that. Jesus' disciples waited three days before he was resurrected. Abram waited 25 years. So just because you're in a delay doesn't mean that you're not acting in faith and obedience. But oftentimes, the delay is a part of God's design. But we can't see the brilliance of that design if we're so busy trying to step in and take control and do his job for him. This is something that Abram and Sarah had to experience the hard way. See, Abram would have the promised son Isaac with his wife Sarah, but first he would have another son with Sarah's servant. This was actually Sarah's idea, which I'm sure Abram was very quick to remind her of. <laughs> but any man with an ounce of common sense would be like, Abram, do not do this. She says it's okay. It's not okay. Warning, don't do it. It's not fine. It's not gonna be fine. Can you imagine how awkward that conversation would have been? He comes into their tent and he's like, hey, so Sarah, 
you know that servant that you told me I should try to um, procure the, the promise of God with? Uh, well, she's pregnant. Uh, you, it's your idea, but she is pregnant. So, and Sarah's going, oh, that, that's, that's good. That's good. And he goes, oh, is it really good? Because you're saying it's good, but I kind of feel like maybe you don't actually think or feel like it's good. Are you good? And she goes, it's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. He goes, wow, okay, well, I really thought you were going to be mad about this. Wow, this is amazing. Thank you for being so understanding. All right. Okay, he wants some popcorn or something. I'm going to go watch the game. So, no, it's not going to work out well for you, Abram. Abram and Sarah, they, they tried to do things their own way. They tried to play God. They tried to take control of his timing and his promises and his methods. And instead, they ended up being frustrated and disillusioned because they were trying to do a job that was never theirs to do in the first place. And how many times have we done this as believers? How many times have we settled for some inferior version of the blessing and the will of God for our lives because we're not willing to wait on his timing? God, you said you were going to provide for me, but I still got bills to pay, so uh, I'm going to cut some corners, I'm going to climb some ladders, I'm going to stab some backs, and you know, once I'm in a place of more financial security, then maybe it'll be okay. That's not the will of God for you. God, you said that I was going to have a family of my own someday, but there's still nobody in my life. So once I find the right person, even if they're not the right person, I don't know, just the, the first person that I find, I'm going to get serious with them. And I don't care if they love Jesus or care about church or anything like that. I need a family. That's not the will of God for your life. And so often we get so anxious and nervous about the details aligning the way that we want them to align. And it's got to be in the right timing. And I have to be comfortable about it. It can't be uncomfortable. God knows we hate discomfort and it has to be in my timing. It has to be right away. And I need to be confident about how it's going. That's not always how it works. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. That's a good place to clap right there. In fact, I'm going to drink to that. When we were youth pastors, I had this game that we played with our youth ministry where every time I had to take a drink, they just clapped. And that way it was just, it just made it fun every time. So let's just try it real quick. Just like the good old days. Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Here's what we need to understand. Just because God does not always immediately fulfill his promises to us doesn't mean he's not doing his job. God works in the delay. While, while we see a delay, while it seems like what's even happening, where are you, God? What are you doing? He is orchestrating things behind the scenes. He's working things out for your good and for his glory. And we see this in the story of Abram throughout Genesis. 25 years, Abram was waiting for his promised son. But in those 25 years, God was anything but idle. If you read through the story of Abram, God established Abram on his own property, this vast space of land. He gave him an abundance of resources. He gave him this whole entourage of servants and soldiers, so many, in fact, that he was able to make war with five kings at the same time and win. That is a security team right there. That is a safety team that you want to have at your church. Five kings, and he beat them all. Like, that's pretty amazing. So all of these blessings are coming into play for Abram. 
So that by the time that the promised son Isaac does come, he's not born into homelessness and poverty. He's born into abundance and into security. This is how God works. Let me tell you something. It's okay to keep your eyes on the big promise, but don't get so focused, so tunnel vision on the big promise that you forget about and you miss all of the little blessings that God's doing along the way. Listen, another great example of this is this church that you're sitting in right now. This church was nothing but a dream in the hearts of Pastor Tim and Robin for years as they lived in Vacaville, but because they were faithful to trust God's timing, to trust God's methods, and not try to take control themselves, but to lean into him in the delay, he was faithful to surround them with some amazing volunteers and leaders, to give them connections and resources here in the city, to give them financial blessings, so that by the time the big promise came, they were able to take it and run with it and bring the love and the grace of Jesus to the city of San Francisco. Your blessing may be delayed, but the favor and the faithfulness and the goodness and the power of God is here for you right here and right now, okay? So in the end, the delay, it's gonna happen, but the blessing is worth waiting for. The blessing is worth waiting for. And let me tell you something, just as God was faithful to fulfill his promise to Abram, he will be faithful to fulfill his promise to you. He will be, that's who our God is. But the question still remains, how was Abram able to stay faithful filled with faith through that 25-year delay? I believe that we find the answer to this question back where we started in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. We already read this verse, but I want to I highlight a little section for us today. Uh, there's no record of a specific sacrifice being made, but there is something significant that happens in this verse. Genesis 12, 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord. Now this verse suggests that Abram built a relationship with God. He didn't just say, okay, God, I got your promises. Great. Come find me when you're ready to fulfill them. (laughs) No, he, he built a relationship with the Lord. He realized at some point in his journey, okay, it's not happening immediately, but Maybe, maybe God's not expecting me to figure all this out on my own. Maybe, maybe he wants to come alongside me and not just show me the promise, but actually walk with me into the promise. And God himself actually speaks of his relationship with Abram in Isaiah 41. And at this point, Abram is known as Abraham because his, his promises have come to pass. It says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. God calls him his friend, not his pawn, not his servant, not his minion. He says, Abraham, my friend. Did you know that the Lord calls you friend? And you can approach him not only as God and king and savior, but as friend. Yes, he deserves our reverence. He deserves our honor. He deserves our respect, but He calls us friend. I want to read you the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. And the worship team, you guys can come up. We will be wrapping up in just a minute. Jesus said this, For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. Now, when you understand this and you live in this reality, this will change your life. 
You guys are good. You're real good. Keeping me honest, that's great. When you walk in the reality that you can build on a foundation of friendship with God, this will change everything. Now reading your Bible is not just something that you have to do, some spiritual discipline, maybe there's some wisdom in here, or if nothing else, if I ever have to do a funeral, I can know Psalm 23. Now the Bible now is a means of getting to know your friend, getting to know the details about his character and his heart and how he feels about you and the people around you. Now prayer is more than just something that you do at the dinner table before you eat, but it's a way of sharing the details about your day with your friend who cares about every single detail of your life. When you walk with God as your friend, now worship is more than just some music for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. Worship is an opportunity to tell your friend how much he means to you. Remind your soul of how good he is, how powerful he is. This will change everything about you. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife and I, we have a seven-year-old named Jane, and she's got severe epilepsy. She's been through some pretty horrible, traumatic stuff in her life. She's seen and experienced a lot of things that she should have never had to see and experience. Doctors have told us that she will never sit up on her own. She will never stand on her own. She'll have seizures for the rest of her life. She's not really able to hold anything. She has to wear braces on her feet. She's blind. They don't know how long she's gonna live. Lots of challenges to overcome. Seven years of waiting for a healing. Seven years of crying out to God. Seven years of emergency hospital visits and blood draws and vomiting and seizures and beeping monitor fatigue and bad reports and sleepless nights. Seven years of coming to God again and again every single day and saying, Lord, I know what it says in your word. I know what you've done in the lives of the people around me. I know that when the father brought his son to Jesus who had seizures, you, you healed the little boy. I know that when Jairus came to Jesus and said, would you please heal my daughter? You healed her. I believe you can heal Jane. Would you, would you please heal Jane? Seven years of having those very prayers interrupted by yet another seizure. And if the extent of my relationship with God or my experience with God was just a Sunday morning for 75 minutes or going off of what someone else told me about him, it would not have taken long for me to get burnt out on church, frustrated, angry with God, and spiral into misery and depression. Lord knows I've been, I've been depressed enough times in the last seven years. I cannot imagine what I would do without him in that process. But by his grace and by his goodness, he has taught me that he is not only my healer, he is not only a miracle worker and a provider, but he is my friend who walks with me through the midst of it all. He's my comforter. He's my good shepherd in the valley. And he's led me into a lifestyle of learning how to build altars, call on his name, and be met by my friend. I can still remember being a teenager. I had this little, this little red Barbie Jeep 
Suzuki Tracker that I would drive around in. I remember being so scared to go all in with God, to truly surrender my life, to truly lay down everything before Him. And as I was processing this decision, I would build altars all up and down the backcountry roads of Vacaville, late night drives, blasting worship music, calling on the name of the Lord. And you know what? My friend met me there. I remember being in my early 20s, newly married and frustrated with my life because I was working at a job that I didn't care about, felt like it was totally insignificant, felt like I had invested so much time in another area of my life, but I felt like I missed the call of God in my life. I felt like I missed the window. 22 years old, dead end, that's it. But on lunch breaks, I would build altars in the back parking lots of a Kelly Moore paint store. And I would call on the name of the Lord. And you know what? My friend would meet me there. I remember the last seven years of hospital visits and blood draws and IVs and monitors and seizures and vomiting and all of the chaos of all of it as my little girl gets strapped to gurneys and she's screaming and she's crying because she's being traumatized every single time. And I'm trying to carry the weight of it all but I feel like I can't get crushed any lower. I'm trying to be strong for her. I'm trying to be strong for my wife. I'm trying to be strong for myself. And I go, God, I don't know if I can carry this anymore. All I have to bring to you is a broken and a desperate spirit. But I built altars in waiting rooms and during operations and surgeries and in PICUs and in Ronald McDonald houses and in hotel rooms. And even this morning as we were crying out, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, I was building an altar, calling on the name of the Lord and my friend, met me there. Let me tell you something, church. Build an altar in the delay. Build an altar when you're scared. Build an altar when it doesn't make sense. Build an altar when you got nothing left. You got no answers left. You're not sure what's going to happen left. Build an altar. Call on the name of the Lord. He will be faithful. If he has promised healing, he will heal. If he has promised provision, he will provide. If he has promised a miracle, he will work the miracle. Your God is faithful. Do not grow weary in doing good, but in due season, if you endure, you will reap a reward. Your God will be faithful to you. That's who he is. He is your Lord and he is your friend with you through it all. When the delay hits, it's not our job to play God. It's our job to keep building altars, keep coming back to his presence, keep coming back to a place of faith and trust and surrender and dependence and desperation on him. Saying, God, I don't know when you're going to come through, but I know that you are faithful to come through. And I'm going to stay here with you in your house, in your presence, until I see your faithfulness fulfilled and revealed in my life. And if you are faithful to do that, you will see the faithfulness of God in his perfect timing. I promise you that. I want to pray for you today. So uh, if you would, every, every head bowed and eye closed. If you're here and you're in the delay right now, you're feeling that brokenness, maybe feeling a sense of hopelessness. If you just feel exhausted, tired, fatigued, like you can't take another step, I believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna meet you where you're at today, even right now in your seat. But I wanna agree with you in prayer. And again, every eye closed, every head bowed, 
but I wanna agree with you in prayer. If you're here and you say, I just, I need strength. I'm in the delay right now. Would you just lift your hand so I can pray over you? Thank you. Yes, I see you, I see you. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to every hand that is lifted in this room, God. Every soul who has been through the dark and crushing nights, God, you have seen every tear cried, every prayer prayed, every moment that they thought they were alone, they thought they couldn't go on any longer. You were there in the midst of it all and you have not left their side one moment. Right now, I pray for your grace and your strength to meet them where they're at. Holy Spirit, meet them, encourage them, build them up, comfort them, give them fresh strength, give them the fresh word of the Lord to be able to carry well in this season, God. I pray that you would breathe new life into their lungs, give new strength into their bones and their muscles, that they would be able to walk with confidence into the delay, knowing that you, their friend, are walking with them. God, I pray for breakthrough, even this week, that they would see breakthrough in this area they've been waiting for. I pray for miracles. God, I pray that even next week, and there would be testimonies of miracles of the goodness and the power and the glory of God being worked in these situations. One more group of people that I wanna pray for. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're feeling the, the, the pull of the Holy Spirit right now to, to go all in with Jesus, to surrender to him, you know by this point that becoming a Christian does not make your life perfect, doesn't make your life easy even. But when you decide to follow Jesus, here's what you're signing up for. A friend who is gonna walk with you through every difficult, breaking, challenging season. The good times, the bad times are gonna come no matter what. The Bible says that the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked both. Here's the thing about the righteous, they don't have to go through it alone. And so if you're here and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus, I wanna experience this friendship that you've been talking about. Again, every eye closed, I wanna agree with you in prayer. If you say, I wanna, I wanna give my life to Jesus, would you just lift your hand so that I can acknowledge you and, and agree with you? Thank you, I see you there. Praise God, thank you. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, if, you, if you're comfortable, if you would, I wanna pray this prayer and if you could all repeat this after me, we're gonna pray this prayer and then we're gonna give God a big shout. We're gonna celebrate, but just pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Today, I give you my life. I know I'm not perfect, but by your grace, I am committing to walking towards you. Jesus, be Lord of my life. From this day until I see you face to face, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Can we give God a shout of praise right now? Come on, give him a shout of praise for lives being changed in this house. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.